0: Welcome to Affirability, a conversation about African business and technology. Today, we're going to talk about NASPERS, the South African investment group and largest company in Africa. We'll discuss its early history, transition from newspaper publisher to tech investment firm, its specific 10 cent investments, its broader investment portfolio, and then we'll end with our views on its future outlook. This episode was recorded on June 14, 2020. Hey, how are you? Doing well, man. Excited to talk about uh, NASPERS. I am too. I think it's a a very
1: fascinating, interesting, multifaceted company. Naspers is one of, I guess, one of Africa's biggest companies. has a market capitalization of $79 billion listed in Johannesburg, headquartered in Cape Town. Owns about 73% of another subsidiary process which holds its investment. So Naspers is big. Naspers owns shares in some of the most popular consumer internet names. Swiggy in India... Mail.ru, Delivery Hero, Invested and Exited, Flipkart. One other thing that makes naspa's more popular in Africa is they own DSTV, multi-choice, Media24, Channel24, their entire group of companies. They're
0: a true conglomerate in the sense of it. Isn't it weird that they're not that popular in like Western markets? Not a lot of people I know talk about it, really. I think because most of their investments are not here.
1: I think the challenge with naspa's recognition is it's just not a... It's, this is not where their value is. The West is not where they are where the big valuation or history is. So in Africa, they're like everywhere. If you watch cable TV, you know they are portfolio companies. In China, if you do anything, you know they are portfolio companies.
0: Right. And it's also, it's like a brand of brands. You're more likely to know the companies they've invested in, not the name of the company itself, because it's just like it's a holding company, basically. Exactly.
1: Some history of, of NASPERS. So NASPERS was started in 1915 as a newspaper publisher. Like many other Africana Publishers at the time, newspapers at the time, they were pro-appetite, pro-segregation. They regularly published pro-appetite ed- editorials. A lot of uh, really nasty stuff. However, they expanded post that to uh, magazines and other media businesses. In the 80s, Nasperd hired Kuos.
0: Jacobus Petrus Kuz Becker. I think we'll just call him Kus for the sake of um, simplicity. So he was born. he was born <laughs> in South Africa. And then he worked in advertising for most of his career. Then he went to Columbia Business School, CBS in New York. And as part of his thesis, which is interesting, I think most business school students don't write theses, but hey, I guess this is in the 80s, things were different. His thesis was on pay TV bundles, and pay TV businesses similar to HBO. So his thesis was the beginning of Mnet because he basically like, oh, how can we do this in other countries? And then he launched that in South Africa when he went back after he graduated from business school. So that's his first major win. And Mnet was the first pay TV system outside America. I was surprised to learn that. Yeah, also one of the biggest as well. So right. he was prescient at like spotting trends, I think is one thing with, with Kous,
1: right? Yeah. Kuz was famous in South African business circles. There's a common saying, can't lose with Kous, <laughs> which I love um, because there's no,
0: like there's no equivalent with bank Holly. Like how do I tell people I am a good investment? <laughs> Growing up in, in Nigeria, uh, I remember we used to have a lot of NCA. And for those who aren't familiar, NCA is like the Nigerian television authority. It's basically super crappy public TV. I remember very vividly that it wasn't 24 hours a day. It would have like rainbow colored bars. I think it would start in the afternoon or something. Anyway, so at some point- too cool. Started at 4 p.m. 4 p.m. Exactly 4 p.m. So before that, no TV for you, just look at the ceiling. So I remember when um, this whole Mnet thing came in, I was like, oh wow, this is interesting. It seemed way higher quality. I remember it was a little bit expensive at the time. And it was just, I remember it was clearer. It must've been some 720p type thing. But for me, it seemed to be HD and it had a lot more like channels and it was basically digital for Xanalog. So it was a very big like entry into the market. So, so that's the Mnet story. According to
1: Kousy's biographers, in the nineties and take this with a pinch of salt because of uh, storytelling and reverse fitting the narrative to fit, to make sense. And Aspen's investment strategy at the time was to find a replacement revenue source for his traditional print media businesses, which it forecast would decline in the advent of digital media. So the argument is Kuz, having done this whole pay TV thing and built all these media businesses in South Africa, saw that the internet was coming and it would affect the ability to monetize those other businesses. Kuz being Kuz, you can lose with Kuz, led NASPERS through a series of investments uh, in China at the time. They
0: lost some money. But I didn't realize all the not-so-successful Chinese investments th- they'd done. So um, there's this phrase I'm going to um, just repeat from FT, from Financial Times. Uh, so Kuz said, we sat upon the floor... And so sad stories of the death of kings, just to emphasize all the like not successful Chinese investments. Because it's very easy to like revise history and be like, oh, yeah. they were so smart, they were so brilliant, they made one investment. But yeah. it's almost always they had a lot of failed investments. So no one, no one talks about it anymore. They lost their shirts in the dot com bubble. So in two thousand, everything was overvalued to
1: the roof. And Asper's went in, invested a lot of the cash from their media businesses, and they lost. They invested some money, they lost it, and they were like, we're pulling out of China. We can't do this. It's, it's ruining our business in South Africa. On the way out, this is how the story goes. On the way out, they were approached by Purnima from Tencent and saying, hey, we need some investment. And they put $32 million for 46%, for 6.5% of Tencent. Way before it was anything that is similar to what it was, what it is today. That is the best uh, VC investment of all time because I think today it's worth about $150, 160000000000 depending on the price of Tencent. To turn $32 million into $160 billion is... I don't know how, but Kuz
0: does. You can't lose with Kuz. I'm gonna keep saying that. Sorry. I love that phrase. That should be like the the title (laughs) of the podcast. The the numbers I've seen is four hundred thousand percent return. So when I saw the percentage, like it has so many zeros, it's hard to even like expand it. But I guess if you if you make an investment for thirty two million and you get one hundred sixty billion with a B, it's it's a magnificent investment. And some context for our audience: so why was this such an important? investment for them. So Tencent is super dominant in China. Tencent is basically well known for gaming and social and they're particularly known for WeChat and WeChat is a super app that has a bunch of functionality, but think about it as Facebook on steroids, um, they make money primarily from games and ads from their social network, which is WeChat or Weixin, as it's called in China. And WeChat has about 1.2 billion users. So 1.2 billion users. So if you think about, like, China population is 1.4. So 1.2 out of 1.4, because it's not really used globally. It's mostly used in China. So they have 80, 90% penetration of all the users there. They have uh, many programs I spoke about, which are basically like think about them as mini apps within WeChat. They're super big in fintech with WeChat Pay, which is also called TenPay. They have Tencent Cloud, which is a billion dollars in 2018 annual revenue. They have a 12% stake in Snapchat, which I thought was pretty interesting. I was like, okay, they own Snapchat. So... What? Yeah. I did not I did not know that. 12%, not even 1% or 2%, and they own 5% of Tesla. They, got, they bought the 5% Tesla stake in May 2017, and they also own 40% in Epic Games. So Tencent is a monster. That's a, a quick aside on Tencent. We can come back to it. I just thought it would be good to let the audience know why that was such an important important move for I, I also think it's it's
1: very... And we get to this when we talk about the valuation and, and, and why it's interesting. It's almost like there's a lot of all this value that is being created right. and then you get to the point of how much how do you how does a naspers shareholder in south africa access realize the invest, investment the ownership of naspers in process, which in turn owns tencent which in turn owns <laughs> tesla russian uh, dolls which owns a bunch of cars right so i think that that's that tends to be like a big challenge
0: yeah uh, oh, that will be a big challenge one thing we should emphasize to the audience which is super important to stress mm-hmm. is that Yes, they paid $32 million, and that $32 million became $160 billion later, but they hardly sold any of their stake. It's more typical to cut your stake over time, and all we know is they sold about 6% in 2018, but apart from that, they didn't sell from 2001 to 2020, so they they sold very, very little. Only a small stake in 19 years, so remarkable.
1: I think that's a, a commitment. And also a measure of the size of the opportunity that that Tencent was looking at in China. Looking back, it's easier to say it was all a straight line up and to the right. But I'm sure in the times I would be like, yo, we can take out a hundred million and we can take out, you know, 300 million and multiply our money.
0: I guess it's like hindsight bias. It's easy to, to say that. But there have been a lot of companies which seem to be doing well. And then at some point they stopped doing well. And if, if, you, if you took too long to sell, you'd just be completely like, you'd be completely hosed. A little bit more about our friend coos so interestingly coos negotiated to get no salary no bonus and only stock options so today coos is worth about 2.3 billion dollars and i think it's just a fascinating story about capitalism pure capitalism he could have been fired at any time with no cause and if he'd been fired after let's say 10 15 years have had no salary but instead he ended up with 2.3 billion dollars so unbelievable Um, a lot of people say this is the most uh Uh, This is the highest return investment of all time. And yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised by that. There are not a lot of other candidates. Another candidate could be SoftBank's investment in Alibaba. But SoftBank sold a lot more throughout the year. So this is potentially better.
1: I think that's 60% IRR or something. Wow. 63% IRR is what I saw somewhere. I don't know if that's... And that's
0: consistently for 19 years? My God. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Switching gears now a little bit to talk about NASPERS investment portfolio.
1: This is also interesting because Nasper started off as this newspaper publisher, own a bunch of magazines, invest in a number of things, started investing in technology because uh, Kusar had a vision, and now they're in a lot of di- different businesses. Some they run directly, some they invest in. So to hear NASPERS tell it, they have a balanced portfolio. They do experimental projects to investments, uh, anything in that investment arm to categories of investments to generate cash or to appreciate value. They have experimental projects, what they're calling R and D projects. They have committed investments, so something like that would be Flipkart, which they sold for 3.6x return. They have something their businesses they are scaling to full potential and profitability, which is Olex Group, Payu, Delivery Hero. They have profitable businesses, which are calling operate and return for cash. That is multi-choice. And they have public holdings for value appreciation. That's Tencent and RU. I'll actually put this link link to this presentation from their annual reports in the show notes. So they are thinking of these investments in different horizons and trying to move their businesses along those horizons, right? And saying, because we have a good portfolio, we can manage. So it, it, it
0: raises an interesting question that they're basically full life cycle. then. They can do super early investments. They can do growth modes. They can do post IPO. And even after it's fully public, Strange. That's the that's the
1: bull case for NASPERS, yeah. which is that as a portfolio of investments, it makes sense. If you trust us to diversify
0: for you, right. you'll be fine yeah. because we have a portfolio of investments that don't go up or down at the same rate right. each time. But but it's super hard to have the internal expertise to work across every part of that, like pre-seed, seed, series A. I guess maybe we'll talk about this towards the end, but it's it's easier said than done. Can't lose with
1: um, <laughs> Right. If you remember that. Remember everything. Right. I think what is most interesting here, though, is how they've transitioned from TV and print media to online e-commerce, social payments, and games, right? And not just in 2001, but in terms of where their revenue is coming from, as Tencent and has grown as part of their holding, is from only 11% of revenue in 2007, online now accounts for 77%. Like, it's, it's just been a huge shift from being in such a small portion to... The majority of the, of the of 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 their business especially when you think about tencent growing some of that is tencent because they do
0: consolidate tencent financial financials into i think it's classic claire christensen's disruption theory where companies that are super strong in a specific sector they find it super hard uh, to find a way to do something different and going all the way from print publishing and doing something different to disrupt yourself is actually quite difficult. And they seem to be one of the few companies that successfully disrupted themselves. It's it's pretty hard to have a bunch of people who are familiar with newspapers and publishing and get them to be internet yeah, people. Yeah. Wow. I
1: absolutely agree. And if you think about, especially for people in, um, especially for, for Africans, or if you think about Africa, multi-choice is 1.7% of their revenues. Mm. That'd be insane. Like, they're so big, mm. but multi-choice is so small mm-hmm. uh, compared to them
0: except for i guess non-financial reasons the sectors they focus on are quite interesting let me let me let me give the high level ones that maybe we can talk about each of them specifically so the key sectors are food delivery classifieds fintech slash payments e-commerce social messaging and then they have other and other includes travel education then they still have their print media business so i would say five big ones and then three smaller ones So for the food delivery, the big players here are Swiggy in India, iFood in Brazil, Delivery Hero in Germany, Mr. D Food in South Africa. So they have a massive global play in food delivery.
1: Classified is one of their biggest success stories. um, With OLX, Stradia, Storia, Property24, Avito. So they have a global Classified business. What's interesting in that Classified business and one of the bull cases for NASPERS is they're able to create a platform for all these different classified businesses to use in the back end. So they've, they've been investing a lot in technology for their businesses to share a common backend. I don't know how true that is for the food delivery business, for example, or how much of it is transferable. But the idea is you can have these cash-intensive startups and you can spread that cost and therefore the opportunity and gains across several different businesses. I think that's that's a very interesting model that I don't know, I don't know that any other VC can or is able to? Do, yeah,
0: it's, it, which is, it's interesting. I'm not sure. Is it feasible if they're different companies? Like if I'm um, the CEO of iFood in Brazil and I'm the CEO of Swiggy in India, do I want to share my backend stuff with a different company? So it depends on on who owns it and
1: what the ownership structure is. I don't Correct. think it's transferable for where they're just one investor amongst many. Right. I think some of their classified businesses, they own wholly. Yeah, like they own 95% and, of OLX. Yeah, so they're able to... Force that conversation and then connect it across the board, which is very interesting because you can take two disparate businesses and get two for the price of one, in theory. Um, and they're doing that. And they talked about that on their recent earnings call, call as well.
0: I'm surprised they're super big in food delivery. It's like a head scratcher to me because on one hand, I understand it's like a high growth business. On the other hand, it seems to me that the profitability is potentially lower. Um, but I, I may be wrong. It may be that the industry is so nascent, they're figuring out the the profitability dynamics. It's just, when I look at the Uber Eats angle, I look at the Grubhub angle, I look at the Deliveroo angle in UK, it, it just seems like a low margin business, but who, who knows? Maybe over time with consolidation, um, better dynamics will be a better business. It seems a hard business. It is a hard
1: business, but one of the interesting things from a NASPERS publicly listed company perspective is they don't account for the losses of the, of those delivery businesses in their P&L, which makes sense because if you invest in a company, you don't put their losses on your P&L. And I think there's a, intuitively you think, oh my God, they should, and then you realize that they shouldn't because nobody else does that and it's just generally accepted accounting principles. But that's a very interesting thing where it doesn't matter that it doesn't make money. And therefore people have to have open questions about the valuations wait, of wait, their whole Wait,
0: it it doesn't matter. It does matter because if it makes money, then the valuation goes up and then they get more f- for the potential sale in the future, right? It matters in the long I term. I guess it does it does matter. It matters. It matters objectively. It just doesn't matter
1: for their for their current uh P&L is what I was talking about. Like them making money doesn't like affect their PL. It could be twice as much profit or twice as little profit, it doesn't affect their
0: PNL, but it does affect before we leave food delivery. One thing I thought that was sort of funny is since uh, NASPERS still owns such a huge ch- uh, chunk of Ten Cent, So Tencent is invested in this company called uh, Meituan Dianping. And Meituan Dianping is the biggest food delivery company in China. So so this is incredible. It basically means NASPERS has a big food delivery player in China, India, Brazil, South Africa, and Germany. So all the BRIC countries plus uh, a major European country. It's They have outside of America, which is, of course, Uber e- Eats, Uber uh, Eats. the other players here they're actually quite dominant in some of the developing markets and food delivery so if you believe in food delivery this is a potential play it's a very interesting
1: series of holdings i think that's where we keep coming back to right they're exposed to many different things
0: across the board and yeah and then classifieds we spoke about classifieds uh i knew a little bit about olx because when i was in nigeria i was trying to buy something and i was like uh i want the craigslist equivalents to buy this thing and for, for those who are not um, familiar with what classifieds are? Just think of classifieds as like Craigslist. So OLX is the Craigslist equivalent, but for international slash developing markets. And like we said, Nasper's own ninety-five percent of them, and OLX is really big in Brazil, India, Indonesia, Pakistan, Portugal, Romania, and South Africa. They're in forty other countries, but those are the big countries. The developing countries. They tried in Nigeria Niger for a while. They came in hot and were hiring uh, for many different reasons. Probably its own po- podcast episode, right. to be honest. Yeah, they were in Nigeria from 2012, and then they shut down in 2018. So maybe a potential future episode. So that's classified. Okay, FinTech slash payments. They own almost all of PayU, which is the biggest uh, digital payments provider in India. You can already see a theme here. There's a lot of Brazil, India investments already. I'm only three, um, three sectors down. On the fintech and payment side, surprisingly, we did a whole episode, one hour, of the biggest investments over the past three years in African startups, and their name didn't even come up once. So I think it's a little bit interesting that they highlight fintech slash payments as one of the big sectors for deep diving in. They're not focusing on African companies for now, is my take. I find that, I find that to be a little bit strange. Um,
1: I don't know if it's strange. Um, First time, $9 billion dollar publicly traded company. You're going to invest in things that move the needle. They do own a separate fund. I think they started a $100 million fund for investing in African businesses, for example. Yeah. But what is interesting here is, from a NASPERS perspective, from a NASPERS payments perspective, is they're probably watching and watching for the dust to settle. And NASPERS can come in at a billion dollars to own 10% of a $10 billion payments company in Africa if it exists. It does not today. So NASPERS is probably waiting to see who who wins, who is likely to win. With enough money, you tend to not miss anything. And and the valuation of the Afri- African fintech companies are nowhere near Nasper's ceiling uh, across the board. The, how many payment companies in Africa could ingest $500 million investment for any value?
0: So if we go back to 20 minutes ago, we said they invested uh, $32 million for 46, 49% of Tencent. So like they've gone so big that now it may not even make sense for them to invest 32 million again because there are a lot of Nigerian fintech companies or African fintech companies that would that can easily give you the 32 million for 49%. But I guess over time you grow big and your focus changes.
1: Yeah, I, th- I also think that's an open question though. We're just speculating here, but why why um, why it's probably something to think about. Why is Nasper's not so big in? Uh, the African tech sector and the many reasons could be the one reason could be the African tech sector is not that big for NASPERS. The other reason could be a strategic choice. Uh, and what I don't know what those could be. It's a very
0: interesting, very interesting. Well, it's funny because they seem to do stuff in South Africa a lot. It's just not the rest of Africa. Speaking of which e-commerce. So they own 96 percent of take a lot and take a lot is the dominant South African e-commerce player. I think, Bancoli, you mentioned them early in the Jumia episode, right?
1: Even African, they were supposed to be, uh, per the CEO of Takealot at the time, they were 4x bigger than Jumia because Jumia is publicly traded.
0: So South Africa is just such a big market all in. Yeah, I, I read the, rumors about them expanding, but it seems they still haven't expanded outside South Africa. It means um, they're trying to do the focus strategy versus the wide net strategy that Jumia was trying to do. So a little bit different.
1: But but also the focus strategy of NASPERS versus SoftBank. I think there's a very interesting uh, parallel to draw here in NASPERS versus SoftBank. Because NASPERS likes to think of themselves as being super narrow consumer internet investments. They do not do B2B. They don't do cloud investments, at least not directly. And they invest in setting scalable businesses in specific industries. Um, the SoftBank, however, is a much more of a grab, grab bag. <laughs> 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 much more of a mixed bag of investments, right? So NASPERS would do something like Flipkart, and SoftBank is in Ola and Tokopedia. Yeah. I think they were in Flipkart together. They were. Enough, they were, they were. It was a great They're exit. Flipkart Everyone exited together. to Walmart, was,
0: took their money, and went home.
1: <laughs> it was it was beautiful. Yeah. Um, SoftBank has some Chinese educational providers. NASPERS has Codecademy and Udemy. Um, Fintech, SoftBank has GrabPay or GAMI. NASPERS has PaySense, Zest, PayU. Delivery... <laughs>
0: Delivery hero of Naspers it, Food Panda. It, it, it's funny. How, how would we even categorize these companies? I guess depending on who you ask, SoftBank is either a VC fund or a PE fund or a mixture of VC and PE. Um, but but Naspers is a little bit different because they don't actually raise other people's money, so they're not really a, a VC or PE firm. They're just an investment firm. So it's sort of like the definition is cloudy for all these companies, but. The, the easy answer is they all invest in other companies, <laughs> technology companies. I, I also
1: think that there's a philosophical question about what is Nasper's that is maybe intellectual and utility. It's only useful as an intellectual discussion because Nasper is all of these things. They're a media company. They're, and the question is, if you're, what do you want to know if you're asking? Are you asking if you should invest? It's a difficult question, right? They're a media company. They're a holding company. They're an investment company. They're a technology company. They do build tech and they do have technologies on staff. Yeah,
0: and a Prince, they're still a Prince yeah. company. They still have Media 24. So, they
1: still have Media 24. And they're also very
0: popular for their investments. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, rolling it back, we're talking about e commerce and we spoke about the Flipkart deal. So, it was a 30, 32% IRR. They sold that. It's interesting to know that the current CEO, Bob Van Dyke, who uh, took over from our friend Kuss, was a former head of eBay Germany. So, suffice to say, he knows a lot about e commerce. Um, we spoke a little bit about Take a Lot. They also there's a lot of ex eBay people there. Sorry, there's a lot of ex eBay people on on their on their staff as well. Right. Actually, right. Uh, we also spoke a little bit about um, Take a Lot before, so I won't talk about that. They also own EMAG, EMAG, which is Romania's largest online retailer, and Nasper's became the majority shareholder in 2011. Uh, so that's the on- only the second uh, unicorn coming out of Romania. The fifth thing they focus on is social-slash-messaging. So we spoke about Tencent before. They also own 28% of a Russian social media company called Mail.ru. Um, and it was interesting reading about this company. It seems to be social media-slash-messaging-slash-email. It's just a social media platform, personally. Um, and it's pretty hard to get Russian investment. So good on them for getting a 28% stake.
1: I think there's there's also some conversation. There was some conversation about russia institution of foreign ownership law and how it affect their holdings but nothing happened
0: yeah yet. they they got in early they didn't get uh, yandex but you know they got mail.ru so it can't be all bad so they have a bunch of uh, grab bag of other minor things travel education and prints i think the education area is a little bit interesting because i saw they have a udemy investment i was like oh wow they own udemy they also not own they have an investment in they have an investment in Code Academy and Baiju. Uh, Baiju, one of the companies I love, for those who are not familiar, it's an Indian um, app online education thing. So pretty interesting grab bag of things there. Wow. Food delivery, classified, it's... fintech, e-commerce, social, travel, education, and prints. Jesus. Unbelievable.
1: I also I also think that for that reason, they're the go-to investment company, if you're building a consumer business in any market, I was going to say in, in any emerging market, because they have the relationships and their investment thesis from the days of Multishers and Mnet is to replay the same movie in a new market. It's definitely, it's just the investment thesis. Take Classified and just take it to different markets. It's to take OLX and just take it to different markets. And if you're building a food delivery business in a new market, I think there's a there's a very, some parts of that would be local, some parts of that would be universal. And I think NASPERS definitely has a lock on what is universal and why
0: as a business i agree if i'm an entrepreneur in let's say estonia after i look up for the local estonian um investments um opportunities my second choice for sure would be something like naspers because they have a lot of experience doing stuff for similar entrepreneurs in other developing markets why not may not be my first choice because i think it's hard to have specific knowledge about so many countries and so many markets but definitely second choice after i go through my my national my national peeps but it's also, I think, there's some parts around the evolution of markets, right, that are
1: natural in terms of if you start, for example, you start doing delivery, what happens to margins? What happens to competition? Does food delivery lead to a natural transition to cloud kitchens? Yes. You know that because you've seen that movie happen over time in developed markets. Why may or may not that be true in the, in, in developing markets? You can argue that, but they're doing that right now with Swiggy in India. And if you have a food delivery thesis and you're starting the business now, uh, that um, looking down the pike visibility is is super valuable. Uh,
0: so I guess my summary of their investment portfolio strategy would be they're going super big on developing markets, specifically China, India, Brazil, Russia, and South Africa, so the BRICS, um, and they're really trying to focus on food delivery, classifieds, fintech, and e-commerce. I think the other four we mentioned are the smaller things. I think it's five big GOs and four big sectors, if I were, if I were to summarize. It's everywhere.
1: NASPA is everywhere. The CEO sits in Amsterdam because it's easier to travel up from there. So he just sits in Amsterdam. Uh, even though they're headquartered in Cape Town because Amsterdam, you can get flights anywhere. And Prosus, which is a goose that lays the golden egg, is headquartered in Amsterdam as well. So he sits there and he's able to travel. Um, he's on the road 200, 250 days a year or something. Oh, oh my goodness. Like
0: Oh wow! Yeah, he's he's just traveling. Uh, speaking wow. of the CEO and Bob Van Dyke, I watched a lot of uh, YouTube videos to prepare for this podcast. I'd never seen interviews with the CEOs always have the same question. Every single interview I watched, people were asking him about ten cents. What's going to be the next ten cents investment? Tell me about the ten cents. It was remar- no matter what the topic was. So, um, big, big big shout out to to Bob. You're doing a good job asking the questions, but yeah. it would drive me bonkers. Yeah.
1: It would drive me crazy. Oh my too. god! I feel like everybody keeps asking, like, when is the next ten cents? Like, we have a big business. I don't know if you know this. We just sold Flipkart for a lot of money. We're investing in businesses early. We're still making money. Like, ten cents is not the only deal we've done. Can you please stop asking me about this? There is no other ten cents because there's no other China.
0: Uh,
1: so it was very interesting, interesting,
0: uh, interesting math. Yeah. So we've. We've spoken a little bit about uh, process on this podcast, but let's actually round up a little bit and talk about what actually is process. So Banco alluded to this when we started process is uh, a spin-off or technically a primary listing of all their consumer Internet investments. So NASPers bundled all their consumer Internet investments and they put that on the public market, specifically on a European market, the Euronext exchange in Amsterdam. So what's the reason they would do this? Like, what's the point? Is there even any benefit? So there are a few reasons why they did this. Um, Three big reasons. The first reason is NASPERS was a huge part of the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, JSE, future episode. And fund managers really couldn't give their full allocation to NASPERS because if you're such a big part of a stock exchange, if you're 20, 25 percent there's a lot of concentration risk. So fund managers, even if they wanted to put a certain percentage, they'd have to put a lower percentage to avoid the risk. So that's the first reason. They were too big. And by the way, it's pretty strange for one stock to be 25% of a stock exchange, but it tends to happen in developing markets. And it tends to happen when, you know, their 10 cents investment grows by 400,000% or whatever we said it was earlier.
1: I was going to say, there's also something to be said about emerging markets and how markets or countries at the first stage of the development tend to have a lot more conglomerates. So think of the U.S. in the 1900s, where businesses have to do everything across the stack to provide that service because the market's not developed. So NASPers will have to build the pay TV, but also the internet, but also the media that, that is delivered on the pay TV subscription uh, later. That's brilliant. In order to create a super service. But once you get into much more developed markets where the infrastructure is completely abstracted away, not, not unimportant, but you have wave internet or something else, We just provides the broadband, and somebody else provides the media, and somebody else provides the social media that sits on top of that. Versus in emerging markets, you have to be super vertically integrated. Factor process (laughs) and why they spin. spin Yes, the the
0: second reason they spun off was Nasdaq basically wanted to become part of uh, bigger investment pools. So what does that mean in regular English? The amount of people that are willing to buy their stock would be much more in Europe versus. South Africa, just cause, you know, Europe has a population of 300 to 500 million people and South Africa has a population of 50 million people. And that's just overall population, not even the investment part of the population. And that is for retail investors, not to even talk about like bigger institutional investors. So get more money from a wider uh, group of people the second reason. And then the third reason, which is financial gymnastics is over time, there became a valuation discount for the NASPERS equity. And it ranged from 10 to 20 to 35%. And this was a way to find a way to close that valuation gap. So three big reasons why process was was created. I was going to say the conglomerate discount is a very interesting concept that I went down a
1: rabbit hole thinking about this. The markets uh, tend to punish companies. Well, punish is a very interesting word, but at least value them differently based on a sum of parts valuation for many different reasons. Some of them are general, like tax reasons. Some of them are specific to the actual company, We we'll go through some of those with, with process and NASPERS. Yeah,
0: I, I love it. Yeah. Cause I remember uh, the first time I heard about this was in business school. And I was like, this is fascinating because it's not like it's one or 2%. For the audience, it could be 20, 30, 40%. So it's a massive thing. And you're like, wait, if you do the math and you add up all the, some of the component parts, you take 30% off of that, that seems huge. And a lot of the reasons, the reasons make sense. Like Banqually says, some of the reasons are a little bit soft. Like you'd be like, oh, overhead issues. You're like, uh, okay, coordination issues. Okay, thirty percent, like yeah. coordination of thirty percent is a lot, but it's it's for a lot of reasons where people could see her squishy, but it's also understandable.
1: One other thing to also link it to the markets the company is in. If we think about it, sometimes if people can clearly see some synergies, you're able to maybe get a conglomerate premium. Does that uh, ever happen? One, in, I I I I didn't double check this. I think Berkshire Hathaway has one. Right, uh, right. It's very hard to say because they have a very lean. Berkshire Hathaway, I think lean. they have maybe like five employees yeah, in Berkshire or something. It's an interesting concept, but the idea is that you don't have, we are forced to accept a discount to the value. Yeah,
0: sure. I think the premium is is way less likely. The discount is, is is just more likely. I think the fundamental reason is if you have a mishmash of companies and you put them under one umbrella. The heads of all those companies, they don't have aligned objectives because you're forcing your overall objectives upon them. If they're separate, they could be like, I'm the CEO of X. I'm going to go for my own goals. I have my own objectives. But if you put them under, under an umbrella and you put overarching Objectives on top of them. I mean, over time it's gonna be less efficient because they're not trying to solve for their own company. They're trying to balance solving for their company versus your overhead company. So yeah. the premium I, I think would be much less likely. Cause how would you solve that? You'd have to have very limited overhead, like the Berkshire example.
1: I also think um the other reasons going back to why they split up, there are many reasons for them to hive off the European investment holdings into uh, uh let's call it into the into Euronext and in Amsterdam. One other reason is just South African risk is if you invest in a GSC, you're stuck with the currency risk of South Africa and investors don't quite want that. I want the 10 cent stuff. I want the good stuff. I don't want the South Africa stuff. And they believe there was some demand for that. And to create and manage and fully monetize that demand for that is why they hived hived it off as well.
0: Broad context for the audience. If you live in country X, it's very easy to invest in companies in country X. So let's say hypothetically, you're an American, you live in America, super easy to invest in American companies. Let's say... Amazon. You just go on, but let's say you live in America and you want to invest in an overseas company stock. So let's say BP. You take a bunch of risk, such as, like you said, currency risk. You also take into account inflation risk, because inflation may be different. You take into account government risk. But there's something called ADRs, which you can use to mitigate some of that risk. Um, and ADRs are basically American depository receipts, which you have a middleman that helps you buy the stock from the international company. So there are already ways you can do this to mitigate risk.
1: Yeah. So there's, there's, that was a good reason good reason for that. The other less, less uh, interesting reason is apparently Amsterdam has lower capital gains taxes than <laughs> South Africa. So if at any point they wanted to sell down S- the 10 cent stake in process, they would pay less in taxes for that, which is interesting if I think about tax law, because I don't know if South Africa would have let them do that, knowing that that would be one of the reasons. And that's a huge tax windfall that is taken away from the government coffers. So that's something i Hmm. i'm a bit skeptical about Hmm. because you can't you shouldn't be able to take advantage of that kind of arbitrage Hmm. like buy something when you're south african and then exit to somewhere else before you sell it to realize the gains and not pay taxes in south africa that
0: seems a bit um yeah Uh, uh, just so the audience is clear um nasper's only listed some of their international um internet investments so only about um 25 to 27 percent was listed so nasper's still owns 75% of process. So it's not like, oh, it's completely separate. It's basically still the same company. They own almost all of it. So NASPERS has a discount. So one
1: thing is interesting is how big is this discount? I think it was amazing. I have this like chart in my head of 10 cent, the value of their, let's call it 30% holding in 10 cents is about 140, 150 billion, 160 billion, depending on the day, depending on the stock price. Process, which holds that 150 billion dollars of value, and Mail.ru and Swiggy, which they invested a billion dollars in, and Delivery Hero and OLX and PayU and Udemy, Code Academy, all these businesses is what? 133 in my cap. I was looking at their annual report.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's 133, and then their stake in, in Tencent is 166. So it's like 20 something percent discount.
1: One other interesting piece is also like NASPERS owns 73% of Process and a lot of other South African businesses, and that is worth. 79 billion dollars and you're like whoa this is there's a lot of money somewhere and the math doesn't quite add up if you're like doing a, some other parts of valuation to so go from 79 to 130 to 160 and the 79 billion probably has a 130 billion dollars of value um value inside. the discount is real what we, the discount is is super is super real right what do you think would be some of the reasons for the discount i, I want to talk about that okay. um
0: they don't really have a lot of control over the 10 cents piece. Like, okay, so 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 normally, let's say Banco and I have a company, and uh, let's call the company Affordability. We buy another company and we have 99% stake. With the nine, 99% stake, it'd be hard for there to be any discount, right? Because you basically control it. You can do anything you want. It's your company. But when you own, first of all, it's only um, 30-something percent now, and it's also Chinese laws and Chinese rules make it a little bit tricky. Even though they have a board seat to exert any control, you have to have a discount because... By definition, there's going to be some coordination rule there, um, coordination overhead, I mean. And then for the other companies, I mean, honestly, it, it's a conversation for financial arbitrage. If you believe the other companies have some value, maybe able to get in there. It's just the discount has persisted over at least 12 years. So if you believe you're going to buy the stock, you're going to get the discount closed, you have to also look at, oh, why hasn't it closed over 12 years? By the way, after process, because the whole process thing we spoke about happened um, last year, the discount still persists till today. So it hasn't been fully closed. It narrowed a little bit. I think it
1: narrowed seven percent or something. I saw a speech by Bob Van Dyke. The other reason is, if you think about it, like Prosus is a VC fund. The numbers don't make a difference, you know, because you invest a billion it does not make you a private equity fund. It is still a VC fund in that they have VC-like returns, which is a lot of investments go to zero, and one or two pay for the whole fund, and then we are twenty-five percent IRR over ten years. That's the best case scenario for a venture capital fund. Therefore, if you look at even though they have a massive portfolio of things that are valued, um, I'm I'm putting up air quotes now, valued at high numbers is, the market does not uh, not believe that or expects that or is just applying an automatic VC
0: discount to that. Yeah, because the same thing happens with SoftBank, right? SoftBank's Vision Fund, yeah. and if you listen to Masayoshi Son on the SoftBank earnings calls, he always complains about the discount. It's the exact same thing. He adds, "Oh, if you add our stake in Uber plus our stake in ARM plus our stake in this, the discount is also huge." So just because the market knows a lot of those other companies may end up being zero. But also, even if you
1: think about, can also go to zero near zero because SoftBank and WeWork, for example, we yes. work is, a good is the best example. At a point, we're talking about a hundred billion dollar IPO, and now. They can't raise $3 billion from from Bank, and they're in court. The other reason, the other reason, there's two other reasons. One is ownership and control. If you think about NASPERS' ownership structure, it's very concentrated. There are two privately held companies with a limited number of shareholders that own the voting control in mm, NASPERS. Right. And those same shareholders own, so one is called Karam, the other is called NASPEL. The names are not as important to this conversation. Both of them have about 2,500 shareholders each, and each share has 1,000 votes each versus one person to one vote in the equity that's listed on Euronext or on GSE. So they have super votes in which is common in tech companies, and the same shareholders in NASPRAs are the same shareholders in Prosus. You have to believe and trust them. The other interesting thing is the clauses they put in place for Prosus, right, is... Naspers this I'm going to be reading this exactly from the statement. Naspers is entitled to exercise at least 50% of all the voting rights in process. If Naspers' voting rights fall below this threshold, they are entitled to exchange their shares into A1 shares worth 1000 votes each. This means Naspers will have a majority of voting rights while owning as little as a 0.051% stake in process.
0: What do you what do you have to believe? Yeah, so so super voting shares, everyone knows this story. If you believe in the founders or the people with the shares, who, which are usually the founders, then it's actually better. Like, I mean, a classic example is is Bezos, right? Like it could be better if he has super voting shares because he has the right vision. He's going to steer the, con- the company in the right direction. There are other examples that didn't go as well. And we're not going to name the examples on this podcast, but sometimes it makes sense uh, to put some mitigation on the, the founder. They're different schools of thought. I don't think there's a right or wrong way, but you have to accept that there's
1: going to be a discount because the market likes to feel that being a shareholder is owning some of the company. And if I own enough shares, I own the company. But super voting rights make that completely impossible. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's not a fact. right or wrong thing. It's like the market is going to give you a discount. And as far as, the, as far as the yeah. market is, is concerned, it's not right or wrong. It's just it's a numbers game, you're gonna lose. You're gonna lose some numbers if you don't have the right uh, setup. So it's multiple levels of discounts. It's a discount
1: because I can't. Influence NASPERS is a discount because NASPERS can't influence Tencent. They can influence process. can't influence Tencent. So it's this additive discount. Um, If you wanted to just make the most money, just invest invest in Tencent directly. Because Tencent has outperformed process and WeChat has outperformed NASPERS in six months post uh, post the listing, which I found a very interesting perspective. It's like, if you want Tencent, invest in Tencent. What is this NASPERS and
0: process? I just love the example of Russian dolls. If you invest in Tencent, yes, you invest in WeChat and WeChat Pay, but you also invest in Tesla and Epic Games and Snapchat. So if you invest in NASPERS, you invest in all these things indirectly. It's like you just keep on going all the way down and taking all these discounts. Better to just go to the source. you believe in Tesla, just buy Tesla stock. Um, I mean, there is is something to be said about mitigating your your risk, um, but it depends on the returns you're, you're targeting.
1: I don't think NASPERS would like this description as much, but I think it's an amazing story of getting one thing right. This is not to diminish the value. Like NASPERS is an amazing investment company, amazing pickers of amazing, they can find and nurture and incubate entrepreneurs and great businesses. And we're seeing that across the board, but it's almost like nothing else matters because they got that one thing right. If you ask the people who buy their stock on the stock market, that's a very interesting concept, which is like, you don't need to get a lot of things right. You just need to get a couple of things right which is a very different way of looking at the world and spraying and praying versus being concentrated and having concentrated fewer, but concentrated better.
0: A a few other things I think are interesting. I want to give my overall um, perspective on just like NASPERS going into the future. So I have three things I wanted to talk about. Um, The shareholder perspective, the entrepreneur's perspective, and then just my overall thoughts. So from a shareholder's perspective, I think it's interesting the way NASPERS and process are, are, are set up. I think a few things I would be thinking about if I were a shareholder, I'm not a shareholder, just for the record, is first of all, geo-expansion. They're super deep in um, South Africa, Brazil, India, China, like we spoke about, but I'm still curious to understand what is their non-South African Africa play? Like, what are they going to do there? Especially because some of the sectors they're into are also sectors that are big in Africa. If you look at 10 cents investments over time, cents is primarily focused on China. They start focusing on India. They start focusing on um, Southeast Asia. And I think in the future, Tencent will start to think about investing in Sub-Saharan Africa. What's a better partner than NASPERS? I mean, they've been in this together for 19 years. So why not go down that angle? Now, of course, there may be some information that shows the returns are low. They don't believe in the market. Market is too early. We won't move the needle. I just think it's an interest. I would think about that if I were a shareholder. You're big in every developing country, but like your own continent, you're not that big in. So another thing I, I would like to see as a shareholder is a deeper India focus since their primary success was based in China and since investing in India is relatively easier than investing in China from a corporation's perspective, I'm interested to see what they can do there. They're already doing SWIKI, right? They already have a lot of investments to be honest. So maybe this one is a TBD. I just feel like in terms of future potential and big markets, It's a very interesting place and they could potentially do more, especially if you compare them to the Chinese companies that are going hard in India. And then finally, this is a boring answer. Just closing the valuation gap. None of these things matter if they don't close the valuation gap. There is a 20, 30, 40 billion valuation gap based on the process discount and the 10 cent discount. So that's the shareholder perspective. And the second thing I want to talk about is the entrepreneur's perspective. If I were an entrepreneur really, NASPERS would be one of my top choices, especially if I'm in one of the sectors they focus in. And if I'm in a developing market that makes sense to them, they've shown a knack of backing entrepreneurs for the long term. They've shown a knack of focusing on markets and being partners who won't sell. and will believe in you all till the end. So that would definitely be something. The weird thing, if I were an entrepreneur, I'd be curious to see how NASPERS pitches to me, how they add differentiated value. Because, yes, they've invested in other people. It's just like uh, it, it's um, in, in VC land, there's something called smart money, right? Everyone has U.S. dollars. Everyone, anyone can, can bring you money. Anyone can bring you funding. But what is the differentiator they bring? And I'm, I'm curious to understand what NASPERS would, would say there. They could say, oh, we have a lot of experience in these sectors. You're also in this sector. But I don't know if I would buy that as much. Because I would want more, more detailed information than just, oh, we've done this sector in, in another country. And Asperis is such an interesting company. I am amazed by this company. I think I must be one of their biggest fans. It's just, it's an unbelievable story about how a Prince media company became the largest company in Africa by market cap. They're the second or third largest company in Europe. There is the most successful investment of all time and was made by an African company, 400,000% returns. It's a, it's a complicated story of like African tech, plus a little bit of China tech, plus a little bit of India tech. It's also a story about like how a VC firm slash corporate VC firm invests in another company, which is also sort of a corporate VC firm, like Inception. Finally, it's just ultimate story of capitalism. Like Kuzbecker studied literature and law. He took no salary, no bonus, no benefits, and ended up with two point three billion dollars, and is the eleventh richest person in Africa. Like it's 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 unbelievable.
1: A couple of things to to that I want to just talk about is is one the opportunity size as a whole and what they're doing, and two thinking about separating the value from the valuation. And finally is more like, what next for NASPERS and Bob Van Dyke and, and KOOS? First of all, I, I find that their model of providing startups scale, it's a very clear thing. I don't think many VCs can do that. So many VCs in the U.S. especially can be very smart, can make introductions, usually market specific. You don't find many VCs that can say, you know what you're building, you know where you could be really cool? Bulgaria. I'll, talk to, I'll put you in touch with somebody, you can launch in there by, you know, my next month. And that's, a, that's something that NASPERS can do, is take these business models and have done repeatedly and get the benefits of that scale by investing in tech platform across the board. So if you are an investor, you're building something that's a US focused or Nigeria focused or, or Rwanda focused or whatever, NASPERS is the people you want to talk to because you know, may know nothing, you may know not much about Poland as a whole, but they do. Now, to come to like the, the, the price, the valuation, uh, and separate that from the value the business generates. Like, is it doing good for its shareholders? And is it making money? Is it taking a dollar and turning it into ninety cents or a dollar ten cents? And I think there's 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 value, right? Ten cents has value. Ten cents is valued at this holding ten cents value at one hundred sixty billion dollars. So there's value there. The cha- the challenge is if you if you want ten cents, you can invest in ten cents. You have to trust. NASPERS to do diversification for you. And as an, as an investor, if you're, if you're investing, you either do diversification by yourself, either you index or you buy a stock in one market, another market to make sure your portfolio is uncorrelated, or you give it to NASPERS to do it for you because they own process and they own Delivery Hero and they own these different markets. The, the, the question is, can they realize value, not just absolute value, but through diversification and risk-adjusted
0: value by themselves, right? I think they, I think they can. Yeah, that's like very that. smart. Because basically it's like an equation. If you believe the value of diversification is greater than the conglomerate discount, then you go and buy it. But if you believe it's smaller, then you don't. The the weird thing about that is you can't get some of the diversification that they can get you. Because if you if you wanted to invest, you may not get access, deal access to this deal flow. You can get public market access, obviously. Yeah. But for some of these companies, they're startups. So the diversification is what you believe about like private versus public.
1: But but also depends on, on what uh, metric you want to diversify, right? So now if I invest in NASPERS, I have exposure to Germany. When I can buy the DAX, I can buy the index in Germany instead, if I want exposure to Germany, instead of buying NASPERS. So it's more like, do I believe that their approach to diversification is superior than what I could do myself, or
0: even valuable?
1: In a way well, that, But also, like, if is... you get
0: the DAX, you may get higher returns by um, investing in startups than the DAX, because the DAX is the biggest companies. So, so Ex- you you could yeah. get something extra. It Depends on what do you believe. It all depends on the belief, because some of these companies aren't publicly listed in, the, in their countries yet, so they're not yeah, part of the absolutely. exchange. But so the implicit thing is, I have to trust them
1: to do that. And that's that's the that's where I'm. It which depends on what who what do you believe, and do you believe Bob and Coos? You know, as as if you can't tell, I believe Coos, because uh, you can't lose with Coos. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I think there's value there, right? Uh, and if you think about the valuation as a whole, is there are structural things holding it back that it can't or won't do anything, anything about. The holding structure, ownership structure, tax reasons. If you sell, you, you may have to pay capital gains tax, either long-term or short-term capital gains tax. And finally is whether the VC investment will make money, right? They're in super competitive, capital-intensive industries. Like they are facing well-capitalized competitors as well. So it's not like they're not going to go into those markets and, and chase everybody out with their cash. Then Brazil and Germany and yeah, that those are, India, those are big markets and everybody's investing in India at crazy valuations right now. So the question is, even if they win, would it matter? You know, it's like everything is destroyed and you're king of, you know, a land that has been salted and burned and there's nothing else there. It's a very interesting like thesis. Like, do you come with anything out of it? Final piece here is around where NASPERS goes from here. There's you know how, how people talk about sometimes that the consumer internet is is done and won? So when you start with something like that, it's like, what what where do they go from here? Are there many great consumer businesses left to fund, or to build?
0: Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. if
1: what other classified business are you going to build now? And if you take a step back, where they've come from is saying they did OLX for a while and then they did let go, the same entrepreneur in all other places. So they're able to still find interesting opportunities in those markets. So I I, I really believe in them and their ability to back these entrepreneurs multiple times. So you know, if you're in with NASPERS, like being in, in some ways, with, with Berkshire Hathaway,
0: like mm-hmm. he,
1: he, he likes you, he lets you do whatever the hell you want. He doesn't care. Right. And if you're in with NASPERS, you know, it's going to fund your first business, going to fund your second business, going to fund your fifth business. They're going to take care of you. Uh, and I think that's the outside-in point of view is that there's a lot more consumer opportunities and they have a lot more dry powder, a lot more long-term to do that. So entrepreneur, love Naspers. Current investors would love Naspers. I think as a shareholder, as an investment, you start to get into questions of how you can you capture some of that value. Uh, and that, that's for me, is the biggest question there. So overall, great, amazing business. Um, I am very proud of Naspers being African. I think they the, the do have blots on their history that I'm comfortable to talk about. Overall, their the ability to make those investments and have the relationships uh, at, t- at that time to make those investments be being bold. The final point I want to make here is that parallel to investing in China in 2001 we can look back with the benefit of hindsight and talk about it I don't know that it was obvious it, they had lost their share in number of investments it wasn't it wasn't quite sure that it was going anywhere uh, at that point in time and it was going against the grain at a time where everybody was trying to preserve cash
0: wasn't obvious. If it was obvious, how would they end up with a 400,000% return? Everyone would have done it. The returns would have gone to to zero over time. Definitely not obvious.
1: The interesting piece is if you think about where, what markets are people making the same wrong assumptions now? And that's a very Mm. interesting problem to think about. It's like, there are many markets that you talk to people they'll be like, you know what, don't put money there. It's not gonna help you. Look Mm. at all the reasons you shouldn't invest here. You know, stop, collaborate and listen or whatever. Um, Yeah,
0: Yeah, you have to be right, and you have to be early to make the big bucks. If you're one out of the two, you can make some money. If you're two out of two, you can make a lot of money. It's, it's hard to time it because you have to be right in such a way that most people are wrong. It's okay to be right. Be like, oh. You have to be
1: non-consensus. People think yes, it's okay to correct. be contrarian. You have to be contrarian and
0: right. Yes. And on time. Yes, because you can be contrarian and wrong. That's, <laughs> that's very easy. <laughs> that's easy. <laughs> so you right. have to be
1: separate from the consensus and right. So it's almost like the one key question I like to ask people a lot is what do you, what do you believe that other people don't believe? Like, what do you think? Right. What do you believe about the world that you think many reasonable people
0: will disagree with you? Yes, yes. That's Peter Thiel's interview question. He conceded. I love that question.
1: And I think that's, a, it forced me to think about like, what is my answer to that question? Because it's a it displays like, you're thinking about stuff. And if I think about NASPERS investment strategy in these markets, or NASPERS in Africa, or or NASPERS in Europe, or NASPERS in, in China or India, is what is the rest of the world missing? About Tencent and
0: that's per C's. Yeah. And by the way, if you have an answer to that question, email us info at afferability.com. What do you believe in that most people in the world would disagree with you you about? Yeah. Yeah. I I like, I'd love to read answers to those questions as well. Yeah. Yeah. If we get more than, uh, let's say 10 or 15, we'll read them out on one of our future episodes. Yeah. That'd be cool. Cool. Should, should Should we wrap it?
1: Yeah, let's wrap it.
0: Let's oh do, my God, do, that's uh... our longest episode ever. I love that. Okay, recommendations and small wins. Recommendations first. Uh, I can go with recommendations. Let's just say. My first recommendation is a book called Passive Income Aggressive Retirement. So I'm very into personal finance. And this book is about um, how to generate passive income streams. I think it's super interesting because like some of the reasons and some of the ways she, she she gives to develop passive income, like people people do that. I'm like, okay, wow, okay. I'm only interested in tech scalable businesses. But she did a good job, like, just balancing, like, tech-scalable stuff versus normal, quote-unquote, physical stuff. It's an interesting book. She did a good job. The second thing I would recommend is Naval Ravikant's aggregate podcast episode called How to Build Wealth. It's on his podcast uh, called Naval. Basically, his podcast has a bunch of episodes, but this one congregates a bunch of different ideas into one. Really good. It's sort of like an audiobook because it's like three and a half hours. Highly recommended. I'm a big, big Naval fan. And then the third thing I'd recommend, which bank knows about, is lazyfa.com, lazyfa.com. It's like a stocks research website that has really nice UX and super cool if you want to like research uh, companies and stocks. If you already have Capital IQ or Bloomberg, you definitely don't need it. And it's probably not so good to buy individual stocks, probably you want to index, but just for fun, it's an interesting thing to check out. Especially if you're already using Yahoo Finance, it's way better than that.
1: Yeah, it's definitely not good to buy individual stocks. But again, this is not, this is not stock advice, as always. So yeah, do what you want. Yeah. <laughs> um, I only have one thing I tried in the past, In the past, uh, I guess since we spoke last, is that over this work from home, everybody working from home period, there, I, I found a couple of services that promote productivity through accountability. The idea is you can be more productive if you're committed to something with an accountability partner. And it's, it's a creepy concept at first because you get on video with strangers and you oh, watch God. each other work for sessions. Oh yeah, my God. There's one called Focusmate and one called uh, Ultra Working. Focusmate is basically a calendar service called a video tool. You schedule sessions and then you have a partner. You guys do intros for like three minutes. Like this is what I'm working on. They tell you and you just watch each other work and at the end of the hour you give each other an update on what you've done. The second one I found is this thing called Ultra Working. So it's like Pomodoro... And video, and you, you can uh, set up the sessions and cycles. They used to do marathons. People work for sixteen hours straight. You can get on video call with these people. The interesting thing here, though, is for Focusmate, the accountability cycles tend to be random. So you basically put a time, and it matches you with whoever is available for that time. For Focus, for Ultra working, it has a lot more what they call social psychology or behavioral things to help you work better. neither. end of that? But the cycles they're picturing tends to be, they have 24-7 life cycles you can join. So they have a 24-7 video call session going on all the time. If you work at a certain hours of the day, you start to work with the same people at the same time every day. So you develop a personal relationship with those people. Well, it's a very strange concept.
0: I love it. You know what? I love all these things you're saying because a lot of people would say, if you look at the long arc of technology, it's been pushing people apart. Like, okay, there was a village square where we all go and chat. That went away. There was a television, which was mostly for the families. That went away. There's a computer, which is mostly for one person. That went away. There's a phone, which is super personalized. So why should you spend time with other people when you have these super personalized gadgets? But this is the opposite of that, but in a weird way. Wow. Video calls with strangers. Wow. So I end up doing this thing for five to six hours
1: um, at a stretch. (laughs) You did your best work. (laughs) My best work. The best work of my life. That's
0: why you recorded. That's why you prepared for this podcast. (laughs) Nobody likes
1: you, let that.
0: <laughs> Forever and done. Should we do moments? I don't
1: have any major small wins. I started a book on uh, this economist author on Nigeria, my Nigeria. He worked for the economist in Nigeria for a while. His grandfather was also one of the colonists, colonizers in Nigeria. His great-grandfather, he has a long history and relationship in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting because it's super well researched, very well written like an economist article, and goes into a lot of interesting details about Nigerian history that sadly I never really have learned from
0: any other medium okay so my small win is my bowflex adjustable dumbbells arriving tomorrow i'm so excited to set up my home gym downstairs finally so cool thanks for listening we'd love to hear from you if you have any feedback topics you'd like to hear or just want to say hello please email info at afferability.com thanks